You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by RX Bar. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com forward slash brain and enter promo code brain at checkout to get the discount. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, personal empowerment coach, Paul Coliani. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. So don't blame me if you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. (laughs) Always consult a medical professional before making any changes to your treatments. And let's begin. I want to welcome you to the show. I want to thank you for listening to this show. We are on episode 229. That has no significance whatsoever. I just wanted to mention it uh, because um, one of the potential sponsors reached out to me uh, yesterday. I, I had a good talk with them, and they were asking me about the demographics and the stats of the show and who listens. And I, I gave them all this information. And um, after I told them that more women listen to this show than men, they were like, uh, that may not work for us because most of the people that buy our service are men. So they kind of backed off, and I was happy about that. Now, when someone sponsors the show, it, uh, it involves money. So they pay us to be aired on the show and for me to talk about them. Now, one of the things I like to do with the sponsors is I only like to talk about sponsors that I uh, am familiar with, that I use, that um, I trust. I only work with sponsors if I have personal experience with them in some way, shape, or form. So if a cigarette company offers to sponsor the show, I'm going to say no because that's not the kind of information I want to convey to you. I want to convey to you service products and services that actually help you, that actually are a benefit to you and me. So after yesterday's conversation with this potential sponsor where they said, yeah, we cater more to a male dominated audience not that men don't listen to this show it's just more women than men i was happy to get that no even though them sponsoring the show is a financial benefit for us and i want to convey how good it is to receive no sometimes sometimes it's really good that someone says no that's not a fit for us you can even look at that uh, in relationships where someone says no i don't Uh, want to continue this relationship or um, our first date didn't go as well as you thought it went so I don't want to see you again. It may hurt because of something going on inside of you but look at how much that really benefits you. Uh, What I mean is that in my case when I received that no I was very happy that they weren't going to pay me and I wasn't going to be able to deliver any uh, customers to them. In other words, I don't want someone to have these expectations of me and I won't be able to deliver. If they're looking for a male-dominated audience, you know, more men than women, and I can't deliver that, 
then I am thrilled that they don't want to purchase advertising on my show because it means I'm not wasting their time and it also means that I am not living up to an ex- any expectations that they have about me. Because, you know, when a sponsor goes on any podcast, any radio show, any TV show, they are trying to get the best ROI they can, return on investment. So when someone like, for example, RX Bar sponsored today's episode, when someone like RX Bar comes on the show, they're hoping that I send people to their site, which is rxbar.com forward slash brain. <laughs> this isn't the official advertisement here. I'm just saying it because the more people I send to their site, the more they realize, hey, the Overwhelmed Brain audience likes our product and uh, Paul is conveying it in a way that is appealing to them. So this formula works. And when the formula works, the advertiser returns and says, hey, we like advertising on your show. We'd like to do it again. And I go, great, because I love your bars. <laughs> I eat your bars and I love talking about your bars. So it's a great symbiotic win-win relationship for the both of us. And this, again, comes back to let's look at relationships in your life. When you have someone in your life that says no, you have to look at that as a great sign that you're not going to be in a situation that doesn't serve the both of you. You have to look at that as the person that said no isn't going to get the ROI, the return on their investment, and is also releasing me of the expectations that they may have put on me if we did get into this relationship or agreement. The word no is so great to hear, believe me. If you get into a situation and you're starting to have feelings for someone and then they say no, it's time to be so grateful that that person was honest enough to do that and you didn't get further involved in any way raising your expectations more, investing in your emotional state more toward them, and thinking it was going to uh, be something bigger than it ever could be. If it's never going to grow from this point and the person says yes, now you're getting into a situation that will start to build resentment on one side. On their side, they may start resenting their decision to be with you or have an agreement with you. And that resentment builds in them and then they will find often subtle ways to be passive aggressive towards you or poison the water so that you eventually leave them because they weren't, um, I don't want to say strong enough or brave enough, but they just didn't say no when they really wanted to say no because maybe they felt bad. They didn't want to hurt your feelings or whatever, but it's really good to get a solid, honest no so that you don't continue a relationship that has a recipe of failure. You don't want to continue something that has a recipe of failure. I would rather have someone tell me no and suffer the pain then and there, I mean, if there's pain involved, than to say yes to prolong the pain for years when it wasn't really something that they wanted. When there's not a win-win, then it's a lose-lose. really is. Because if one person thinks they're winning and the other person just gives in, says, okay, let's try this, uh, and they feel like they're losing, then the more they lose, the more you lose because of the resentment, because they're not going to want to be fully invested. And when they're not fully invested, they can start doing things in a more passive way, passive-aggressive comments, passive-aggressive behavior, 
Uh, this can turn into emotional abuse where they give the silent treatment. They withdraw their emotions. Um, they start blaming you for everything, even though they, that they themselves made a commitment a long time ago or whenever to say yes instead of what they really wanted to say no. I mean, this could be you too. You could have said yes to someone when you really wanted to say no, and now you're prolonging your own suffering. And that's what I don't like to happen. I don't want to prolong my own suffering. I would rather just say no now, get it out of the way so I can open the door to something else. But again, you may feel the immediate direct pain involved with that uh, decision, but at least you get it out of the way so you can clear the path to whatever else comes your way. Otherwise, you end up like my mom. She wanted to say no 40 years before her marriage to my uh, stepfather ended. She wanted to say no a long time ago, but she kept saying, yes, all right, I'll keep going, I'll keep going. And sometimes you have to do that to get to the point where you have the strength to do that, where you have the ability to say exactly what you mean. She said yes so often uh, that saying no was very difficult. But when she finally reached that point inside of her, it sometimes has to be a breaking point. Uh, saying no was the only thing that she could get out because if she continued to say yes, uh, she would be emotionally dead inside. It just, I mean, she already was in many ways, but to reach that point, sometimes it involves a lot of pain before you reach that point. I'm here to say that let's avoid the pain part. Let's just connect with what's going on inside of us and go, is this a real yes or is this really a no? What is it? Is this a real yes? I like what my girlfriend says. If it's not hell yes, it's a no. <laughs> if, you, if you use that model, it'll probably work more often than not. I think it'll work 99% of the time. But I like that because that shows that uh, you're fully aligned with what you're thinking about, the decision you're going to make. You're fully in integrity. You're fully on board with it. And you can say, hell yes, this is what I want to do. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. doesn't work for everything, but I think it's a great uh, gauge that you can use for a lot of situations. So if you're ever on like a first date or a second date or a third date and you have all these warning signs, all these red flags, is that a hell yes? I don't think so. So like I was saying that uh, with this sponsor, it wasn't a hell yes. It wasn't a hell yes from them. Although they liked everything else about the show. Hey, we like your download numbers. We like the number of years you've been on the, on the air. Uh, 229 episodes. Holy crap. <laughs> they liked all of it. But the one thing they didn't like was a deal breaker for them. I like those deal breakers. I like when they come up. Because if they had purchased advertising on my show and they received no website traffic, no sales, they would probably get a sour taste in their mouth for my show. And they would be like, the overwhelm brain isn't delivering at all. Why do we do this? And now they feel like they've gotten into this trap that they've paid me and there's more episodes that they're going to appear on, but it's really a waste of time and money. And sure, you'll have the trickling traffic come to your website, but we paid all this money and we made this commitment. And that's the thing with any relationship that um, starts off on a um, reluctant yes. Don't let those reluctant yeses put you in situations that you don't want to be in. You may have to say no. It doesn't mean it's going to be a permanent no. It just means today it's no. If it's no. 
for you. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, just thought I'd share that I only take advertisers that I really believe in, that I trust. So when you hear them on the show, it isn't because we want money. <laughs> it's actually because we believe in them. And yes, there is money involved, but it's not that corrupting kind where, oh, money talks. So let's talk. It's more like, hey, if you invest in me, I want to invest in you. I want to be able to deliver. And that's good for a relationship of any kind, knowing you can deliver and knowing they can deliver. Because if they said, absolutely, yes, and I knew that uh, you as a listener wouldn't be interested, I mean, I'm, I'm making a guess, <laughs> but I feel like I'm very much in alignment with the people that listen to this show because I talk about and teach what I would want to hear. So there's stuff that comes across my desk that uh, I don't think would be of any interest. And then there's stuff like... um RX bar, that's delicious. <laughs> Remember those high quality no's. Sometimes you don't have to be responsible for all the high quality no's that you give. Sometimes it's great to receive them as well because it tells you what you then need to focus on next. And if it's not them, then you know you don't have to waste your time. We'll be right back. Well, for a few years now, I've actually thought about creating my own healthy snack bar. I know, weird. <laughs> I was getting sick of all the sugary offerings that uh, were full of chemicals and preservatives, and I figured, why don't I just crush up some nuts and berries and stick them together to make a snack bar? After one try, I gave up. I realized not only did I not have the time to make my own healthy snack bars, I couldn't even make them in a way that didn't turn into cereal. I gave up trying, and I've been on the search for a whole food protein bar ever since. Well, my search is over. You heard me talk about it earlier. It's the RX bar. When I tried my first RX bar, I knew this was just what I needed for my on-the-go snack, or any time I was hungry in between meals. I remember being told a long time ago, I think my wife said this to me when I was married, you're one of those people that needs to eat four or five times a day. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That makes no sense. I should be okay with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, there's that adult, <laughs> rational mind that kicks in. She then asked me, then why are you so tired and hungry at 2.30 in the afternoon? And I said, hmm, I was always told to eat three meals and that's it. But it turns out for someone like me, my wife was absolutely right. I started eating snacks in between breakfast and lunch and lunch and dinner. And I noticed my energy boost and I felt like a normal person again. The problem was at that time, I never found a good, quick snack that I could eat when I didn't have time to eat. So I started eating those nasty bars with fillers, additives, chemicals, let alone all the added sugars. They did give me energy and they made me crash. So I gave up on bars for years. And only this year, after discovering the RX bar, have I started eating them again. I want you to check these out. I want you to go to rxbar.com forward slash brain and enter the promo code brain at checkout so that you can get 25% off your first order. That's a great savings and a great way to try out the different flavors they have to offer. Like um, one of my favorites is uh, coconut chocolate. <laughs> but they have uh, chocolate sea salt, gingerbread, pumpkin spice blueberry, chocolate chip, mixed berry, maple sea salt, and a lot more. With simple, real ingredients that I've been looking for. And they label the core ingredients right on the front of the package, like egg whites, dates, and nuts. And on top of all that, 
RX bars are actually delicious. They don't need the fillers or the additives or the chemicals or the added sugars because the whole ingredients taste delicious as they are. And just so you know, there are bars without nuts too. RX bars are also gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. Breakfast on the go, snack at the office, throw it in your bag for the plane ride, or toss in your backpack for the bike ride or hike. Not only is it delicious, it's also filling so that I can eat one whenever I need one. This might be the perfect bar. Visit rxbar.com forward slash brain using the promo code brain to get 25% off your first order today. You're going to love it. All right, I'm going to read you a quick email from someone named Melissa. She says, Hi, Paul, I want you to know how much I enjoy your podcast. Thank you, Melissa. I just started listening to it about a month ago, and this morning when I listen to a bit of your history, I understand why I resonate with you so well uh, and what you have to say. It was an older show of yours where you were being interviewed by someone else. Until then, I had heard you talk about bits and pieces of your childhood, uh, but in this episode, you went into a lot of detail about it and how it has affected you. Here's why I resonate with you so well. My childhood was eerily similar to yours. The emotions you described, I understand, on a gut level. My father committed suicide when I was only two years old, and my mother remarried when I was eight. She married a man who sounds very much like, like your stepfather, who was also an abusive alcoholic. He was physically abusive to my mother and emotionally abusive to our already damaged family. I was only eight, and I felt it was my responsibility to make sure everything in the house was just right so that he wouldn't explode and hurt my mother. I used to hide her keys every night before bed because I was afraid that she would just leave us there. Needless to say, my entire life, I have dealt with the aftermath of this. I won't go into the gory details, but just wanted to thank you for helping me understand how those experiences helped shape many of my behaviors and relationships as an adult. Keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate your honesty and optimism that these past events do not need to shape our future or our here and now. Melissa. Thank you so much for sharing that, Melissa. And yes, you're, I, I do go into detail when I'm interviewed on other shows. I actually put the um, shows that I'm interviewed on in the patron program. So if you're interested in hearing those, you can, well, there's two ways to find me. You can search in the internet for interviews with Paul Coliani, um, or you can join the patron program, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com, where I collect all of those and put them on that site. And as for um, your upbringing uh, with your parents and what you went through, you know, when kids grow up that fast and have to become a parent themselves, because that's what happened, you had to grow up fast and become a parent because your mom and dad couldn't be healthy adults that took care of themselves and their family. So you had to become the healthy, quote, adult to take care of the family. In a way, you were showing up as the responsible adult in the household because the other adults were otherwise preoccupied with uh, toxicity, with um, emotional damage that um, hadn't been resolved. So it's interesting to me when children who have only been on the planet for a number of years, for like for you, for example, for eight years, to take on the role of caretaker when 
you only have eight years of existence on the planet. And the first several of those years, you had to be taken care of. You had to be fed. You had to be nurtured and brought up so that you can make it to a point where your consciousness developed and your conscientiousness developed and um, your morals and your ethics and other things that are still developing at eight years old, trying to figure out the world and develop perceptions and beliefs and values and all these things that are still developing in a very small period of time. And suddenly you have this responsibility of parenting the family. We wonder why sometimes uh, where dysfunctions come from. I mean, not we don't really wonder. You just said it comes from childhood. But the idea how dysfunctions develop uh, when you're eight years old and you have to take on all this responsibility, no wonder you become this super responsible perfectionist when you're in your 20s and 30s and beyond. No wonder one might show up as highly stressed when things aren't going their way or if their partner in the relationship isn't very organized um, or isn't following the rules of the household, how that might stress out someone who had to start taking care of a family at eight years old. No wonder what emotional triggers have developed when you're a kid that you brought into the adult world, into the into adult relationships, where you get into these uh, situations and you're like, oh, why am I so triggered by this? Just like I used to be triggered when people would drink alcohol around me. I used to be triggered when I found out about my you know, partner's uh, promiscuous past or their drug use or whatever. I would just have these triggers in me because those are the same triggers that I had when I was, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15 and on. So I had all these things that I didn't want in my life showing up in relationships and becoming a real issue. Why was my partner drinking alcohol an issue for me? Well, of course, because my abusive stepfather drank alcohol. And if someone drinks alcohol, they're dangerous. They don't love me. They don't have my best interest in mind. They cause me to be afraid. They cause me not to want to be around them. There's all kinds of negative associations I used to have with alcohol. So my relationships would suffer from that. Fortunately, um, that disappeared pretty quickly when I started putting on my adult brain. My adult brain steps in and goes, wait, is this the same situation? Is this your stepfather or is this your girlfriend? Is her drinking going to lead to what he did when you were a child? I mean, these are all the adult questions that we ask ourselves when we are emotionally triggered. Is my partner doing and saying something that my parents used to do or my my unhealthy caretakers used to do? And if that's the case, is it the same meaning? Is it the same context? These are the adult questions that come up, or at least should come up, when you're being emotionally triggered. For example, when my wife had uh, eating issues when I was married, when she would reach for junk food, I would think of addiction. When I think of addiction, I think of my stepfather who was addicted to alcohol. And when he was drunk, he did behavior that I did not like to be around. And in fact, I hated. I hated being around that. So here I was in my marriage living with someone that I labeled as an addict. And I already have the negative association of being around addicts. So I go, oh, addiction means they are bad. They are doing something against me. They are doing something that uh, takes love away from me. 
it's always something about, you know, what is it doing against me? What is it doing that doesn't benefit me that uh, is a disservice instead of a service? It's probably a bad way to put it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like you get into these relationships uh, with people with different behaviors because we all have different behaviors. We all have our quirks. We all have our characteristics. And we all have these behaviors that may or may not line up with what we see as ideal for us. So what do we need to do? We need to open our adult brain. I know that's a weird way to say it, but let's just say that we have a responsible adult inside of us that thinks clearly, that thinks rationally, that thinks logically to help us get through some of the more emotional times. Because I tell you what, if you go through life only emotionally, you're going to be driven by your emotions all the time and never step into a place where you realize that, hey, wait a minute, just because I am negatively affected by this doesn't mean I have to be, doesn't mean I have to react to it. I might have a negative response about what's going on, but it doesn't mean I have to react to it. This is where the adult or the rational thinking comes in where you go, okay, it's okay to have emotions about this. You're not turning off your emotions. You're just utilizing another part of you, another part of your brain that says, wait, 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 I don't have to have this emotional trigger. I can choose to react differently and address this emotional trigger inside of me, but not put it onto them. It takes work. I'm not saying that this is an overnight thing. This is why we look at ourselves and we dive into our own self-worth and our own self-esteem, our own feelings of significance in the world, our own values and our own personal boundaries. This is all the stuff that we dig into ourselves so that when we're in a relationship that we have a solid foundation that we bring to this relationship so that if they do something that emotionally triggers us, we can rely on this foundation and go, whoa, 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 what, what just happened here? I'm getting emotionally triggered. Like there's still like these little, little, I mean, I only have a few now, but there's still little emotional triggers that happen with me on occasion. My girlfriend will say something about someone and I'll go, oh, that person. (laughs) And I'll think, wait a minute, I don't even know why I'm being triggered there. So there's something I need to address in me. It's nothing she's doing. I mean, If she violated a value today, if she violated a boundary of mine today, like uh, let's just say that she's talking about an ex, just talking about the ex isn't a violation of a value or a boundary in me. Just mentioning something that she did with an ex isn't a violation of a value or a boundary with me. But what if that uh, trigger is still in there somewhere inside of me? Because when that goes off, when that activates, it's not her fault. She has a history that can't be changed. It's the way it is. And it's not my fault. It's my responsibility, however, to go inside and really work with this and try to understand myself. When it becomes, this is why the emotional trigger might happen, is that we believe that what's triggering us might become a reality. When we put that out there, like, oh, if she's talking about this and it becomes a reality, then I would be upset. And I'm thinking about it this way because there's a part of me that fears that it might still come true. That could be what's happening is that you get triggered because a part of you fears that it might come true. But then you have to look at the trend. Has it come true for the past year, five years, ten years? Has it ever been true? Because eventually you have to realize, oh, it hasn't been true for the past whatever number of days, months, years. So why am I still triggered by this? 
Well, you know, she's thinking of someone else. Okay, let's address that. If she's thinking about someone else, does that mean she's in love with someone else? You know, I'm going through like a trigger that I might experience. Does that mean she loves someone else? Does that mean she's keeping in touch with this person? Or is it just a memory that she's sharing? Is it just a part of her life that was a part of her life? I mean, it just has no meaning necessarily today because, for example, she's not in contact with an ex, but at one time it had meaning to her. And now she wants to spend her time with me. So what's making me so upset about this? Now, this is part of drilling down into your problems and drilling down into your emotional challenges and trying to figure out why am I so affected by this? And when the adult slash rational slash logical thought process kicks in and says, wait, is this really a threat today? Because if it's really not a threat today, why am I having an emotional response to it? Well, I just wish they would never talk about it again. Well, if they did that, then you keep the trigger. Congratulations. (laughs) I'm saying this to myself too. And you don't heal from it. You don't address it because if it never comes up, it never gets addressed. There is some solace in that because if you if it never comes up again, you may never get triggered again and you could have a happy life without ever getting triggered. But it's still in there. And that means something will eventually remind you of it and it will come up again. So it's good to connect with these emotional triggers and understand where they come from. And like I was saying at the beginning of this uh, segment, you know, when they come from a place of childhood, I always like to look at triggers as how does this relate to something that happened to me in childhood? For example, the idea that um, my girlfriend has gone out with other people. My girlfriend has had sex with other people. Oh no, you know, we have these thoughts of them doing something with other people that we would abhor today if that happened, you know, now. But it was in the past before we met, so... Why would that ever be an emotional trigger for me? Well, how does this relate to something in my childhood? Well, certainly I didn't have, you know, sex when I was a child. And some people have sexual issues because of sexual abuse and such. But let's just say that uh, that didn't happen. How could I possibly relate to a relationship that I'm having today that involves sex that I think about them having sex with somebody else and it bothers the heck out of me? Um, How does that relate to childhood? Well, how do you relate to sex? Do you consider sex love and nurturing, emotional bonding? Because if sex is all of that, then guess what you wanted to get in childhood? Love, connection, emotional bonding, nurturing, all of that stuff. And when we grow into an adult and sex becomes a part of our relationships, that is often a part of it too. Sex is um, part of that role. So if you ever have an issue with someone's sexual history, it might involve all of these other components of it, the the love, the nurturing, the connection. And if you didn't receive those enough in your childhood, you may be seeking it more today. And what I find is that what we didn't get enough of in childhood, we seek from our relationships when we're adults. Because that's what happens. If I'm not getting enough nurturing in childhood, I'm going to want to be more nurtured as an adult. And it'll always feel like it's missing. Even when I get a a highly nurturing relationship, I still want more, as if I'm not getting enough. And getting beyond that in yourself takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of, well, maybe not discipline, but 
the idea that you're really uh, sitting with that stuff inside of you, understanding that this isn't what's happening today. I mean, it could be, but that where it stems from in childhood is why I need it so much. Why do I want to be touched so much? Because my mom never hugged me. <laughs> she felt awkward hugging me. So when you have someone that feels awkward hugging you, then you may develop an awkwardness in, in hugging others, first of all. But if not, uh, you may seek that comforting touch and hugging from somebody else. I mean, you may seek that either way. But what can happen often is that when you don't get enough of something in childhood, you seek more of it when you're an adult. So this is how you gauge what's going on in your life um, as far as emotional challenges that you're dealing with is that you look at what you need the most of, especially in relationships. What do I need mostly in relationships? Well, I want someone who makes me laugh. Did you not laugh enough as a child? Well, I want someone that really holds me when I'm crying. And then you think, well, did my parents do that? Did I have a bigger brother or sister that did that? an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent, did anyone do that for me? Because if you can't think of too many people that did, did that for you, especially the ones that you wanted to do that for you, then that might be a reason today that you are emotionally triggered when your partner isn't hugging you enough. How about the words, I love you? Do you want to hear those words and why? Why do you want to hear those words so much? Or my mom always said that she loved me. It was something I got used to. There's another way to look at it is that some of the things that really reinforced love and reinforced how you felt as a child. Like uh, I used to feel really good when my mom said she loved me. And I just took that as the common thing you do. And that is a big part of showing someone that you love them. So when I get into a relationship where my partner doesn't say I love you that often, I have to think twice, uh, oh my God, is this does this person love me? I have to think about these things and realize, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Do they show that they love me? Are there other ways they're showing up that I'm not used to? You know, we all grow up in different families with different ways of showing love and uh, different ways of hurting each other, different ways of being emotionally and physically abusive or neglectful or negative in some way or po and positive in other ways. There's all kinds of different ways that we're brought up and so we typically end up seeking what we're missing or what we're used to. So I think that's a good way to look at it and a good way to step into the adult rational logical mind. Again, I'm not sure if adult mind is the best way to put it. It's just that more rational space that when you combine that with that emotional self inside of you, because I really don't believe it's one or the other. I really believe that you can step into the yin yang of this the balance of logical and emotional. It's like I talk about the breadth of the entire human experience. You have it all in you. Utilize all of it. Don't just be emotionally triggered. Also be logically engaged. Also be rationally curious and connect with your emotions. Have every part of you work together to understand yourself, to be more curious about yourself, to be more fascinated about What's going on inside of you? I know some of it's hard. Uh, for some people, it's really hard. It's a real challenge. They never want to visit some of those things in their mind. But when you invite all parts of you, all the emotional parts and all the logical and rational parts and all the feeling parts and all the doing parts, everything that combines to help you come to a better place in yourself, 
then you feel like you have um, a built-in support system. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm in an emotional state and I'm just down and out and no one's around to help me, having some sort of uh, built-in support system can be very helpful. I don't always achieve it. (laughs) I'm not always successful at it. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't show up and I go, where is that logical part of me that can help me through this? Because sometimes you just have to go through what you're going through. You have to get it out of your system. Sometimes there's an overwhelm of emotion. So you have to be with that emotion. Let it come through you and let it come out of you in any way it has to come out. Whether through tears, whether through exercise, whether through punching your pillow or a punching bag at the gym. Sometimes it gets overflowing in there. Maybe you can look at it like this. Emotions are like water. And sometimes the water pools up and overflows. Sometimes there's too much water, so it needs to be let out and drained uh, where your logic and your reason are like the land. And the land directs the water to where it needs to go. It helps the water along the way. That's kind of your built-in support system too. So in regards to Melissa's letter, thank you again for sharing that. I know, like you said, you're not going into the gory details. I can only imagine. I think uh, many of us have those gory details And you tell me to keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm telling you to keep doing what you're doing too. Stay honest in yourself about what's going on. Uh, Don't deny what's happening inside of you. Just let it flow. And whatever needs to come out needs to come out. You need to give yourself that time whenever something comes up. It's a lot better than staying in denial, hoping you never get triggered. Sometimes it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. Thanks for writing. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. Hey, I'd like to thank Bob for his generous donation to the show. Hey, Bob, you left me an email that I couldn't write back to. It was uh, incorrect. I don't know. It just bounced. So I'd love for you to write to me again because I wanted to send you a personal audio reply to thank you personally. Since I couldn't reach you, I'm just thanking you publicly. (laughs) But I'd still like to send you a personal reply. So send me an email, Bob. Thank you again. And I'd also like to thank Jamie571 for their review in iTunes. Jamie571 says, I'm a better person after listening. Paul delivers solid advice that is very practical in today's world. The podcasts have helped me recognize and correct my people-pleasing and to honor myself and my beliefs. Absolutely. That's what this show is all about. Thank you so much for your review, for taking the time to do that. It means a lot to me. I also want to thank RX Bar. I love their bars. I'm not just saying that. I actually love their bars. There are certain ones I like better than others. Coconut chocolate. (laughs) But I always have spares now in my car, in my jacket pocket, on the table, at home. Uh, They're just kind of laying around everywhere. And they're really, really handy snacks along with healthy snacks. Go to rxbar.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain during checkout to get 25% off your first order. And thank you to the patron members supporting the show over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. They are a huge, huge support for the show, and they keep us sustained and keep us going. Uh, I think NPR calls those kind of people sustaining members. If you'd like to be a sustaining member of The Overwhelmed Brain, head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And in there, you'll get uh, free workbooks, all the uh, free private episodes that I've created that no one's heard except the members in the program. And of course, you can sign up for email coaching over there as well. A lot of people getting a benefit from that. 
So thank you, patron members. I appreciate you. Patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I want to tell you about the Mean Workbook. The Mean Workbook is the ultimate emotional abuse assessment and healing tool. You go through a 200-point assessment to find out if and how much emotional abuse or manipulation that may be happening in your relationship. And then once you find that out, what do you do about it? A lot of the messages I get are from people that don't understand what's going on in their relationship. It's just harder than it should be. And um, it seems very one-sided, like one person's always right and the other one's always wrong. Relationships aren't supposed to be like that. That's why I created this workbook. It took me a year of effort to really dig in with my own clients that were going through emotionally abusive relationships. And of course, when you get the Mean Workbook, there is an option to join the uh, join a secret Facebook group that I've created for peer support for those of you who feel alone through this process. I don't want you to feel alone. The workbook's great. The peer support group is getting off the ground now, and we're starting to see activity in there. So if you're in that kind of relationship or you don't know you are and you want to find out, go to loveandabuse.com. Check out the Mean Workbook, see what it's all about and see if it's something you need. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And to close the show, I'm going to read you a message that um, I hope to answer fairly quickly. It's uh, someone named, I'm going to call her Mary. You type that in here, Mary. <laughs> Mary says, I recently started listening to your podcast, and let me tell you, your podcast, they are my favorite, and I am hooked. I thoroughly enjoy the material you share, and your advice is so insightful and practical. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. I would love to ask you a question. I rarely find an answer to my situation. I am hoping you can shed some light on it. Yes, I like answering things that you can't find answers for. That's Those are the best kind, because if you can just look it up online, then what's the point of listening to this show? <laughs> Mary says, I have been in a long-term relationship with my boyfriend for about seven years. Last year, we broke up after years of struggle and constant bickering. I was devastated, and I fell into a deep depression. Four months later, he wanted to reconcile, and I knew in my heart that's what I wanted. The problem is I'm struggling to reconcile. I'm dealing with resentment. Why did he leave me if he truly loved me? Worst of all, I can't get over the fact that he slept with someone else during our breakup. He explained that he needed a distraction as our breakup was hard on him. I found this very difficult to absorb. I understand we were broken up and that it wasn't cheating, but to me this was not as black and white. I was heartbroken. He told me the breakup made him realize that he only wanted to be with me. Is this the only way for one to realize the relationship's worth after losing it? However, I am grateful things are much better. After getting back together, our relationship has improved and I do want to move forward with him. I'm very happy and he is making time and effort to meet my needs. I know that I need to move on so we can be in a healthier relationship without these roadblocks. How do I rebuild the relationship without feeling so much resentment and hurt? Thank you for giving me a chance to write in. It's always so soothing and helpful to listen to your podcast. I look forward to your weekly episodes. Have a great week, Mary. Mary, thank you so much for sharing that. That is, uh, like you said, in so many words, bittersweet. Now you're back together. Now you're moving forward. But now you have these resentments. Why did he leave me? There's your question. Why did he leave me if he truly loved me? All right, so I'm going to be a little forward and a little bold with you, Mary. But I do it out of the utmost love and respect for you and wanting your happiness and his. My bold statement is this. He left because you said it, that you guys were always bickering. Eventually, that wears you down and you want to get out. 
And the reason I say that is because you're focused on why did he leave me if he truly loved me? You can love someone and not want to be with them because they drive you crazy. It's really what it comes down to. He didn't leave you because he didn't love you. I don't know. I mean, you didn't mention that. It could be part of the reason. I don't know. But that's not the only reason. You said it yourself. You had years of struggles and constant bickering. Who wants to stay in something that's a struggle? Who wants to stay in something that they're constantly suffering in some way? From your letter, I get that he left because it was a struggle. And because it was a struggle, he did you both a favor. Now that's the harsh me. (laughs) I don't mean to be harsh. I just want to say that just to have it impact you in a way that is meaningful. It could be a negative impact. I'm not sure. But I want to say that because it's true. When someone leaves because there's constant suffering and struggling, that is doing you both a favor. Now, you said you fell into a deep depression. You know, was that his responsibility that you fell into that depression? It's not. I understand why you did it. I I did the same thing when my first long-term girlfriend left me. I fell into a deep depression. It took me like two years to get out of it. Fortunately for you, four months later, he wanted to reconcile. That never happened with my relationship, and I eventually uh, was able to be empowered enough to get out of this depression and heal myself and go through a lot of um, changes in my life. But for you, um, if you were still in that depression when he wanted to reconcile, there might be a part of you that wanted him back so badly, almost as a cure for your depression, which can be dangerous. Because when you're relying on someone to cure you or to give you happiness or to be that source of fulfillment for you because you don't have it in yourself, now you're not bringing the best version of yourself into the relationship. Now you're bringing this needy, wanting, dependent person into the relationship. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm saying in general, that's what happens. But if you're in the midst of depression when he wants to get back together and you're not resolving that depression and why you got depressed in the first place in yourself, then that could happen again. That could happen when he uh, takes a business trip for a week and now you're suddenly depressed because he's gone and you're having all these thoughts like, oh, what's he doing while he's gone? Is he cheating on me? Is he doing this? Is he talking to other women? I mean, all these thoughts come up when you don't address what's going on inside of you so that you can bring the best version of you into the relationship. So regardless of where you are today, if you haven't addressed why you got depressed in the first place, that is important. I don't know if that's therapy. I don't know if that's uh, diving into yourself, meditation, whatever you resonate with most. But I think it's important that you dive into that. And you might be thinking, and I'm sure a lot of other people are, um, of course she's depressed because the relationship ended. Don't you know you get depressed when a relationship ends? That's not always true. Uh, Depression is a a much deeper state of what I call thought suppression and emotional repression. When you get into that space where you're suppressing your thoughts and you're repressing your emotions, then you get into this numb state of depression where what used to be joyful is no longer joyful. What you used to be passionate about, you're no longer passionate about. And you feel like you're in a dark void all the time. It sucks. (laughs) It's a terrible place to be. But 
once you get out of it and you commit to yourself, I will never be depressed again. That's what I did. I finally got out of this depression and go, whoa, I hated that. I never want to do that again. So I worked on myself. I worked on my self-esteem. I worked on my emotional foundation inside of me. What do I need to address? What's still left over from childhood? What dysfunctions am I carrying around? What uh, emotional triggers am I carrying around? All of this stuff is inside of you and needs to be addressed in any way possible. If you have a reliance on someone else to replace the emotional healing that you need to do in yourself, you get into these situations over and over again. You become depressed during breakups. There's a difference between getting down and grieving the breakup and becoming depressed. So I want, I just want you to understand that uh, a breakup can hurt almost anyone. It hurts. It's emotional pain. You share your life with somebody and suddenly they're gone. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of emotional pain. It is like the death of the relationship. So you have to grieve that death. It can hurt badly. But it doesn't have to turn into depression. You don't have to go into a space where you're so far down, where you're so deeply wounded that there's nothing that can be done except reconciliation. When the only thing that can cure you is reconciliation, then your reliance on someone else is a little too much because they will never be able to provide as much as you need, which is why it's so important to have the resources inside of you to continue to heal and grow and evolve and get to a space that you feel good about yourself and comfortable in your own skin so that when you get into a relationship, if something devastating happens, yes, you'll take the hit. Yes, it will be painful, but you won't be down and out for months and months and months or years with some people. You still go through a down and out phase, but when you have a healthy emotional foundation, you gradually climb your way out of it because you have the resources to do it. Doesn't mean you won't um, miss being with them. It doesn't mean you won't have these lonely periods, but overall, that emotional foundation is what keeps things together inside of you. So let me come back to what you said. You know, why did he leave me if he truly loved me? I think one of the biggest gifts my ex-wife gave me is her ending the toxic relationship we were in. I tell you what, I did not want it to happen. I felt the same as you. How could you possibly love me if you left me? But when I look at this now, when I see my marriage for what it was, it was a struggle. Um, I was being highly emotionally abusive. Well, not highly, but I was definitely emotionally abusive. I was judgmental. I was hurtful to her. And even though she loved me, she couldn't feel safe around me. She couldn't feel comfortable with me. There was the constant struggle. It wasn't the bickering that you may have experienced, but there was a, a definitely an insidious struggle going on for both of us. And it wasn't going away. And I certainly wasn't going to end it. So guess what? The relationship radiation was going to continue to burn us both. It was going to continue to be a struggle. It was going to continue if no one did anything. Someone had to do something. That's how I want you to look at this, is that one of you had to do something. And if breaking up was that something, which it appears from your story to be the case, that, that was the something that changed everything, then that's what it needed to be. Sometimes we have to do this because we love the person. That may sound hard to digest, 
But now that I know myself well enough and the kind of toxic element that I have provided in my past relationships, I know that if I'm being so toxic to them that I can't stop myself, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to end it because I'm bad for them. When you have enough conscientiousness about yourself and what you're doing in the relationship and you can come to that decision in yourself where you go, well, I'm really toxic for this person. I better end this relationship. That is a huge gift. It's a gift to them. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It can, but it just means that you know yourself well enough to know that this isn't going to end, that there's nothing I can do about it, at least while we're together. Now, while you were apart for four months, he probably had a lot of reflection time. He probably realized, just like you said, he wanted to be with you. But he would never have come to that had he not had time to himself. Because I tell you what, I am a full proponent of being apart so that no one influences you, good or bad. I am a full proponent that when you have stuff going on in your life, that you need to take time for yourself. You need to be away from anyone that influences you so that you know what your own thoughts are. Because when you're together, you don't know what your own thoughts are because they're always influenced. I mean, for the most part, they're always influenced by someone else. I'm with my girlfriend. Every thought I have has a hint of influence of her in it. Hey, I'm going to take a nap today. I wonder how that'll affect her. I mean, not in a bad way, but I wonder if she's going to be home at the time. I wonder if she's going to walk in and want to take a nap with me. Even just benign thoughts. Hey, I want to take a nap today. I wonder if she'd like one too. Hey, I'm about to run to the store. I wonder if she needs anything. Almost every single thought has her in some small way. Do you realize what happens when you don't have that person around? You think differently. And if you're in a daily struggle with someone and you're not thinking differently, sometimes the only way to think differently is to not be with them anymore. This is why separation can be a very healthy thing because it reminds both people who they are. It reminds you who you are. And if you go into a deep depression, guess what you're carrying around with you when you're alone? There's something in there that you're holding on to that you haven't healed from. I mean, not purposefully, but there's something in there that you haven't healed from that needs your love, attention, and nurturing, and healing especially, so that you can get through it so that that isn't your primary drive in the relationship. I mean, imagine if your primary drive uh, had to do with the fear of losing someone. I mean, that almost sounds like where you are. If your primary drive to keep the relationship going is your fear of being alone, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I want you to do it because you love this person. You want them to be happy. You want to support their happiness. And you'll even support their happiness when it involves decisions that they made in the past that you don't agree with. That's the hard part. Just like you said, he had sex with somebody else during our breakup. I get it. That hurts. It's not easy. But, you know, this is harsh Paul coming back. He could do anything he wanted during the breakup. I am grateful that he did this during the breakup instead of while he was with you. Believe me, you would rather have it this way because if this relationship continued as it was, the chances, this is really me going out on a limb, I know it is, the chances of him betraying your emotions and uh, cheating on you become greater. 
I'm not saying it would happen. I'm not saying that this is true. I'm saying that when you look at this and you realize that he could have done that while you were in a relationship, and I'm going to assume he didn't, and because he didn't, shows that he wanted to be honest with you. He wanted to try to make this relationship work. And when it wasn't working, he had to figure out what he needed. He had to figure out if you were the person or not. And how do you do that? Sometimes you do have to compare. Sometimes you have to be with someone else to find out, oh, gee, the person I was with was what I wanted all along. What was I thinking? And so your question about the breakup making him realize that uh, he only wanted to be with you, is it the only way for someone to realize the relationship's worth after losing it? Sometimes yes. A good example of that is um, when you buy a car, for example. When you buy a car, if you've had uh, power windows all your life, and then you buy a car with the roll-up kind, <laughs> you go, oh my God, what was I thinking? I can't reach over to the passenger side and roll down the window. What was I thinking? I saved a few bucks and got this car with roll-up windows. I miss my power windows. Why did I ever give that up? Sometimes you need to know what you don't want in order to know what you want. It's just the way the world works, unfortunately, because we don't always know until we're faced with something that doesn't give as much as we had. So as much as it hurts, I mean, this is another reason to look inside of you and find out why does that hurt so much? And I realize that you still had an attachment to him when you were broken up, but he did the right thing. I mean, from what you told me, he did the right thing by breaking up, by giving you time apart from each other because of the struggle. And even while seeing someone else, he didn't do it while you were together. He did it while you were apart, which you can look at as more honest, which is uh, more loyal to you when you're together. And why don't you just look at that as a rare find? And I know it's not easy. When my long-term girlfriend broke up with me, she found someone else and they dated for a while. And then we got back together and I was like, what? You had sex with someone else? And I felt like, oh, I can't believe it. And that really affected me. I know exactly what you mean. It, it really felt like, oh, it's like a betrayal, but it's not. But you know what? We are broken up. And if we're broken up, then I have no say in her life. You have no say in someone's life that after you break up, unless you have a kid together and that's a whole different scenario. But when you break up, they have their life, you have yours. And that's, that's the time to focus on yours. If you stay focused on theirs and what they did, you're going to be resentful. So how do you get rid of the resentment? Well, I'm going to give you a quick answer and it's probably not in-depth, but I want to give you just, just one thing to think about. And uh, I've said this on the show before, so you might have already done this yourself, but I just want you to imagine, okay, you're together today. What do you have today? What are you focused on today? What is great about today? You know, do that present moment stuff. And um, do you want to lose what you have today? There's another present moment question. Now I want you to future pace a little bit and I want you to think that tomorrow you wake up and this is going to be hard and I'm, this is harsh Paul coming back. <laughs> tomorrow you wake up and he's dead. Now the only reason I say that is because I want you to ask yourself, is the relationship he had while you were broken up important at this point? Knowing that you woke up and he's no longer here. Are you now focused at all on that relationship he had? And if not, what are you focused on? Because I have a strong feeling you're not focused on that relationship at all anymore. You're focused on that present moment question that I just asked. 
What did you have right then and there? What were you perhaps taking advantage of? Where was your time and your energy and your focus going? Was it in the past? Was it stuck on that? Or was it what you have in front of you right now and how to take advantage of every single precious moment with that person? Because I tell you what, when you think about them being gone, now you have something to compare it to. Now you have that um, power windows versus the roll-up windows. Now you realize what you could lose if you put yourself in that space that he's no longer here. And you also realize how much time you end up wasting thinking about something that doesn't even matter to him anymore. Because right now is all that matters. Right now, today, is all that matters. So stay in that space. And if you need help staying in that space, just keep your mind open so that you can step into your power. And that'll help you be firm in your decisions and actions today so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.